Hello and welcome to Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. <laughs> I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. That was a long pause we took there. Sorry, my windows are open because I don't have air conditioning, so the sirens are extra loud. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot happening there. There's always a lot happening here. <laughs> it's chilly here. It's a little chilly here, too. Yeah, it's like fall over here. It's nice. We got one day of it. It's, it's, it's probably 70. be what? 90 yeah, I know. It's tomorrow. back into the 80s tomorrow. Yeah. 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 It's 70 yeah. degrees here and currently 79 in my apartment. So, woo. Um, I feel like it. Like we would be remiss if we didn't mention the, that the VMAs happen before we get into I our topic. I watched them. Did you watch them? I did. I watched, well, TikTok showed me a ton of clips from it. So I feel <laughs> like I watched it, even though I didn't actually watch the VMAs. I feel like I know a lot about them. Yeah. I was just going to say, I figured Riley enjoyed all of the Taylor Swift coverage. That- that's what I was going to say. I felt like my the main things that I saw on TikTok were just people commenting on Taylor Swift partying. Yeah. Somebody dared to say that she didn't like the way Taylor was behaving. And then I watched a million people <laughs> tell her that she was wrong. Yeah. She also won I, like every award. So mm-hmm. I, at the end, by the end of the night when she'd had to stand up that many times and go up there and try to come up with something to say, I was like, I don't blame her for having fun while she's sitting down (laughs) she's moving around a lot i also whatever like whatever you can feel however you want to feel about whatever celebrity but i feel like by now don't we know that you're gonna get a lot of feedback if you go on the internet and say something mean about taylor swift yeah Yeah. (laughs) don't don't we all know how the fans of taylor swift are gonna react (laughs) If you say something mean about Taylor Swift. I love all the compilations people have done of like adding voiceovers to like the things that she was saying. Because you couldn't hear her when she was in the audience, but she's on camera. So people were like reading her lips to see what she was saying. And it's just a lot of her like singing along to everyone else's songs when they were performing and like screaming like, yeah. Was she really saying it's giving movie it's giving cinematography that's what it looked like she was saying but i don't know she also when instinct came out for the first award to present which she won um she was like i have their do- or i had their dolls <laughs> yeah that was a funny moment watching instinct present an award yeah. to taylor swift yeah. that was a there was a lot going on at the vmas that i was like i bet you half the people watching right now that are my age or younger don't know who most of these people are like oh yeah Diddy was up there like, for like 20 minutes. There's a whole thing for Shakira. NSYNC was up there. Um, Wait, do people not know Ashanti. who Shakira is now? Well, they know who Shakira is, but like this isn't like her moment, you know? Like it's not like her, well, her era. It is her always era, Shakira's always moment. moment. I'm sorry. Shakira but was body surfing. She made it her moment. Yeah. It's always her moment. It's not her, her era of, of music, her period of music. Of music coming know. out, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I honestly, I don't know. I am not up to date on when Shakira's last album I don't came know. out. <laughs> I just know the same songs that everybody knows, and they were the ones that she performed because she knows what she knows what the people want. Her hips don't lie. Yeah, Demi Lovato was there. Did rock versions mm-hmm. of like three of her most popular songs. It was great. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed. Um, a lot of people on my TikTok were showing different 
red carpet looks or pink carpet. It's a pink, pink carpet. carpet. Mm-hmm. Pink carpet looks. Mm-hmm. Why is it a pink carpet? I don't know. MTV. Okay. MTV is pink. Their logo. Is has it? pink in it. Yeah. I think. Well, I have the I app on my it TV. Has, nah, no. I guess it has pink on it. I don't know. See, okay. When the MTV logo would appear on the screen back in the day when I watched MTV because it had music videos on it, um, <laughs> it would like be different colors. Yeah, and like different animations and stuff. Yeah, different animations and colors. So I never thought of the MTV logo as a certain color. I thought of it as a, like it looks a certain way. Oh, I can picture it. I see it. what you mean. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't have thought of it as a certain color because it was an animated presence on the screen in between the music videos I was watching. Yeah. I didn't mean that to sound like I'm not trying to be all Gen X like, you know, back in the day when they actually showed music. I don't mean it that way. I just mean like. I think they did used to do that. I think this is the current one. And like the Uh, M is yellow and blue and the TV's pink. I don't know if that's why it's a pink carpet. I assumed, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to a pink carpet. Yeah. Football's Drag Race has a pink carpet. Yeah. Mm. That's nice. (laughs) <laughs> well i mean that's nice like that's i like that i like pink, a pink is having carpet. a moment yeah. maybe a barbie you know a barbie moment it's a barbie moment yeah yeah i got a yeah i got a new keyboard it's all pink our listeners at home aren't going to appreciate this but you all can that is oh, a very pink, scary pink that is a very wow. pink keyboard. yes and the keys make Charlie satisfying noises it looks like it does yes um yeah, I just thought that that was relevant to all of our interests that the VMAs happened. They still hand out spacemen. Moonmen. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. It felt like seeing Taylor Swift hold that, like I was looking at it thinking like, that's still, that feels like a throwback to me, but it's just always been happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's just neat. Like it's always been. You know, it was the VMAs where she had her infamous run in. Right. Yeah. Right. She got her first Moonman. Moonman. Now, my understanding is that the outfits she wore to the to the award ceremony and then to the after party are um, color coded to indicate that Reputation is the next album she will be re-releasing. Well, she already announced 1989. That's coming out in October. Um, Then what? All she has left after 1989 (laughs) is Reputation and Debut. And everyone has long thought that she'd end with debut because it's actually called Taylor Swift is the name of the album. So it'd be Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, Taylor's version. So, um, but she was wearing a black dress and she had, I think she had six necklaces on. It was her sixth album. <laughs> so everyone was like, Oh, it's reputation and reputation's whole color and thing was like black and white snakes and you know, look what you made me do and all that she, stuff. So. She doesn't have a stylist. She has a game master. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody was like. I was watching all these like red or pink carpet reviews of their outfits because like I'm not I'm not into I don't judge fashion. I have no idea what is supposed. I just like to look at the outfits because yeah. especially for award ceremonies like that where people kind of get daring. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool to see the stuff people wear. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I'm not I'm not watching it because I'm judgy. Like, I don't care. Like, they all look they're all gorgeous. Yeah. They're all amazing looking, you know, Um but I saw somebody and they were like, and obviously this is a nod to reputation. And I was like obviously well i have no idea why and then and then sabrina carpenter who is who was her opener at her mexico shows um Mm -hmm. did her performance and answered a phone halfway through which looked like the same phone from 
the look what you made me do music video and she oh. says sorry the old taylor can't come to the phone right now and gotcha. then taylor wore the same outfit to the after party that sabrina was wearing on stage like the exact same outfit so is she featured on the album maybe maybe who knows I don't know. I spent a lot of time thinking know. about this this weekend. <laughs> she also is maybe let's dating. Go to the, let's go to the yarn wall. She's also maybe dating Travis Kelsey, the football player. I saw yeah. that. Like, good for her. He said he went, he went to her show and wanted to meet her after because he made her a friendship bracelet with his number on it. Um, but she doesn't meet people after or before her shows. So he was disappointed. But now there are reports know. they've I- been quietly hanging out. Apparently, my TikTok somehow persuaded, like, I'm getting all these articles surfaced to me about, like, Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato and what their songs mean and interviews. I, apparently, Howard Stern is still interviewing people. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that was like, happening either. <laughs> um, so now I know all of this stuff. I don't, why, did, why do I have that in my brain? Why did I read them? Why is it in my brain? I, I would encourage you all to look at Miley Cyrus's TikTok because she's been doing a little series called Used to Be Young or When I Was Young or something like that based on a new song, I Used to Be mm-hmm. Young. And she's doing like throwback little like looking at moments from her youth and her career when she was young. It's really funny. Yeah. A short As TikTok. someone who's 40, I find that a little depressing personally, but... <laughs> The best uh, one. Oh, you used to be young. The best one was a picture of her and Taylor Swift and yeah. Emily Osment and I think Demi Lovato after an award show. But Miley's wearing like baggy pants and tennis shoes, and they're all wearing like their award show dresses. And she said, "We are going to the Cheesecake Factory." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's very good. That's, that's, yeah. Um, well, but we're it not. Was, um, no, we're not we're talking, talking about, about that. Any of no. those things. No, our topic of conversation this week is much classier, I think, than the VMA. Well, it's classicer. It's just to say it's old. There's <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, this was my week, and I, I, I asked you to watch uh, Casa, Casablanca, um, which uh, it's very, very old movie. And I don't know. I, I feel like it's incredibly pretentious to say this is my favorite movie. Like, that's one of those things you're not supposed to say in life. But it's definitely one of my favorites. You're allowed to say yeah. that. No. Okay, I don't, you're allowed to say that. I don't that. know who I'm exactly afraid of judging me. Like, I, I'm sorry yeah. I enjoy this thing a lot. <laughs> sorry. It's not, like, it's not like that scene in Barbie where, like, the kids are talking about, like, you know, the Godfather. And it's not because, like, it's really their favorite. They just want to be pretentious and, like, tell you all about it. It's not, yeah. You're not, you're not doing that. Yeah, because I no. I feel like the the friends I have that are film film nerds or you know the judgmental film guys, when I say that I like this movie, it's always like, actually, can I tell you why it's a bad movie? No. Actually, can I tell you why that movie is incredibly boring? And I'm like, no, because I enjoy it, and I don't. I you can't sway me away from enjoying something. You can't <laughs> tell me yeah. with reason and logic. Here's why you shouldn't enjoy Casablanca. Actually. Right. And then what they'll tell you is that there is a definitive answer to what is the best movie and that everyone agrees on that. And so like everybody's you're supposed to everybody is supposed to like the same thing. It's just they choose what it is. No. Yeah. I call BS on all of that. Yeah. My favorite movie is The Princess Bride. So, I mean, there it is. Like, I don't know that that's on the list of greatest film it, it should be it should be it's probably on someone's yeah. <laughs> yeah 
Um, no, this this came out in uh, 1942, wow. um, and uh, of course stars Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, and um, it's it's romantic action drama. It's it's set during World War Two. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's got that appeal. I don't know what you call that other than cool, which sounds like very simplistic, but like. There are a lot of movies like that where you just you feel like the vibe of it is like, oh, man, these people are so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's the general vibe of Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> like if he's in mm-hmm. something, he's probably really cool. Well, he's very charismatic. Yeah. I was thinking about that as I was watching, because I wouldn't say that he is like the most handsome actor that has ever been on screen, you know, mm-hmm. but he has this charm and charisma that is, I mean... I, they're, they're actors who I would say are probably objectively what society would deem more handsome who don't have a tenth of the charisma he mm-hmm. has. Well, and that was, I mean, in his time period, like he started off playing a lot of uh, a lot of gangster roles. Like that was how mm-hmm. he was sort of typecast. And that bothered him because he wanted to be more of a heroic character. But, you know, he, again, like he wasn't that traditionally what people would think of as handsome. He was a little on the shorter side. Um, and uh, I don't, I, he... Made the jump at some point, got started getting you know good guy parts instead of bad guy parts, but it was very non. I was thinking about, I and I, I Justin was watching it with me when I was rewatching it, and um, he's he speaks like theater language better than me because he has a degree in that. So, <laughs> so there are things that I notice that I don't really have the language for, you know. And I said, I it feels like a lot of the people in the movie are, still sound kind of like from the stage acting tradition, and like he's different in some way and he said that it is like there was a distinct period in the 60s where actors started more like naturalistic acting this sounds like i'm just talking like you just happened the camera just happened to start filming an actual conversation that organically happened that was a whole new style of acting because prior to that you're supposed to sound like hyper realistic Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be this like i am acting this is what is happening. Like that was very much that, cause that was the stage. And then that translated into film. And I feel like Humphrey Bogart is doing like that early naturalistic, like it feels like he just spontaneous, you know, mm-hmm. he has, he has this, like he is just reacting to the situation naturally that you didn't see as often back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that made him more like relatable and charismatic. And as an audience, you, you're like, oh, my gosh, that guy. <laughs> that's true, because he's surrounded by more like characters and he's the real person at it. Mm-hmm. But that's, mm-hmm. The first the first thing I ever saw him in was uh, I randomly got this was at my many apartments ago where we had a we had a, a VCR in the apartment and I found like a copy of petrified forest which was one of he's he's a gangster in that movie Mm -hmm. and it was started as a stage play and then it was adapted to film um it's a very dark sad movie but uh i just found the copy at the thrift store like this looks weird let's let's watch this tonight and just like absolutely fell in love with him thought he was just just so cool same but like Mm -hmm. so interesting and uh eventually led me to wanting to watch this yeah Mm mm-hmm I am. I will be honest. I I have seen this movie before, but only as of last Christmas when you were home, Tay. Um, That was (laughs) the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, And um, I am not super familiar with a lot of movies from this era. I feel like I kind of missed 
that not that like they were current when you all were growing up but i feel like it at least was more common for people to go back and watch those movies i feel like as we move further and further away from that time period my generation looking back at movies we watch means like the 70s and 80s you know what i mean like it it doesn't have that same appeal of going back because there's no sort of like cultural touchstone that seems like at all relatable to like i don't know people in our lives like parents grandparents are like that's that's so far removed um i mean 80 years is a long time i didn't realize it came out 80 years ago but i mean that's a that's a long time that's an interesting point because what's what i think is so like rewatching the movie there are so many things in it that had permeate have permeated our culture Mm -hmm. so completely that when you watch it like this is where that came from yeah this is where these lines came from you know like it's weird to think about like this was the first time somebody said this stuff and then you know we saw it like on animaniacs Mm -hmm. how many years later you know what i'm saying like like these were the beginnings of this it is interesting to i mean uh, there's got to be a time like a shelf life on some of that where new stuff replaces it I, i mean i don't know that would be my guess and so i wonder if we're seeing a break where Riley, I don't know. Maybe your generation doesn't have, maybe it hasn't permeated your sort of like, you know, cultural gestalt the same way it did ours. I don't know. I mean, I had that sort of aha moment watching it the first time of like, oh, that's where that line that I've heard referenced in like a dozen years looking at you, kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, But it is weird to think about that. Like, I, I guess in theory, I knew that it came from a movie from that era and you know wasn't sure which one but like knew it was probably a black and white movie from like the 40s that was about i don't know something like gangsters or war i don't know um but gangsters gangsters or war war. i don't know that's what i that's (laughs) what i assumed um but like there are probably people i mean i guess i was that know that line or other like popular moments from this movie and similar movies and have no idea like it just it exists in like a vacuum for them they have no idea where it came from it just is a cultural reference they are aware of and that is it like shakespeare yeah which i mean there are I mean, probably things how, how much yeah. stuff do we say that is shakespeare and no one knows like nobody really thinks about like what i'm doing is quoting shakespeare right now but that but the origins of that turn of phrase are shakespearean especially like that yeah. that is yeah, because it's been used then in so many future pieces of media and like not taken, but like utilized in other ways that people probably hear. Here's looking at you, kid. And they're like, oh, that came from, I don't know, name any list of movies that pro- line has probably mm-hmm. been used in over the last 80 years. They don't know that it didn't actually originate there. That was a reference to something. And I wonder how long that list can go of like, actually, no, that was a reference to this, which was a reference to this and which was a reference to this. Like before generations start losing touch with like the original context yeah hmm i mean i I would because i feel like i don't know i think that there's some things you you brought up shakespeare like there's some things that that managed to get that stand the test of time because they somebody enough people in each generation get past it you know you know, whether mm-hmm. parent to child or, you know, brother to sister or whatever, like, I need you to watch this because it's good. I need you to listen to this because it's good. Like, it, it keeps getting, you know, made part of the, the, the current culture. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that has that has to be elements in the work itself and also how people respond to it. Because I would say I'm not like some I'm not some movie buff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, horror movies, this definitely. But this this yeah. is not my normal genre. Um, and I don't watch a lot of old movies. And a lot of times when I do try to watch an old movie, I get a little bored. You know, I get a little like I, I can't. I don't. Yeah, my brain's been destroyed They're, by modern media. I need immediate action all the time. Mm-hmm. They're exposition heavy. Yeah. They're very old. Older films are they told more than they showed. Mm-hmm. But this is not. I don't know. Like I think that the 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 story within this movie and the story around this movie, I think, is so gripping to me that I, you know, it stands out. I think. It, I think it doesn't. It doesn't get lost to its time period. I feel like it has ideas in it that are relevant today, and it, it shockingly holds up well considering mm-hmm. how long ago it came out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think there, when you get right down to it, there are only so many types of stories we tell, right? Mm-hmm. There are only that there's a there's like a finite number of the types of stories that you can tell. Mm-hmm. It's how well did you decide to tell that type of story this time. How well was it constructed? How well was it acted? How did you convey that story to the audience? And if you do it well enough, people will keep going back to, well, I want to hear a story of love and sacrifice, and it's this one. This is the one that I like. Because there's lots of stories of love and sacrifice. But this one is the one that connects with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's also, I mean, I think it also has to do with like the era that it's set in against the backdrop of World War II. What? And like... I say it's against the backdrop of World War II, but it literally came out in the middle of World mm-hmm. War II mm-hmm. when it when it didn't look like the Allied forces were going to win. And this was kind of, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we're putting out this anti-Nazi movie in an era where... Well, I was going to say in an era where Nazis were a real threat to the world um i guess we're still there <laughs> i guess i guess that's yeah maybe we need to reissue this yeah. like remember yeah. we we don't like nazis we learned actually. a whole lesson from this movie about how bad nazis were yeah like a lot of the cast in this movie were people that had fled europe there were people that had been impacted directly had lost family members already to the concentration camps like you know when that that scene um i uh, i think one of the most iconic scenes in the movie where uh the nazis all start singing their their stupid little Nazi song, and then all of them, mm-hmm. uh, they all start singing the song, the Marseille. The French, you know, yeah. And uh, and everybody's getting very emotional. A lot of those people were, were French citizens that had, had to leave France because of the occupation, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking... No, I think that... Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was watching, because I had a thought of, like, one, I feel like you don't get as many movies that have the same sort of, like, really nice balance of commentary and politics and like social issues and real world events going on and also like good romance stories and personal stories and like you know relationships happening like I feel like it's usually one or the other like you either have a movie that's like oh this is a war movie or whatever and that's what this is about Um, but you also I didn't think about it until you just said that I feel like it's very uncommon to have movies that are making statements like that while still in the midst of things that are happening. You know what I mean? Like we have movies about other issues that happened in the past or like wars or conflicts or historical moments, but I don't, unless I'm 
unaware. I don't know of a lot that are coming out with things to say about everything that's happening now, if that makes sense. Mm. I think documentaries. Well, but documentaries, I don't know about, but I yeah. mean like like a film, like you know, a fictional. Mm-hmm a film yeah. that is taking place in the current world and highlighting all the bad things happening, but also just focuses on like, you know, people well, existing there. And I, and I don't know. And I mean, again, I'm not a movie buff either. So I yeah. feel like there, there are probably people who would point to films yeah. that are current that do that. Um, but I would wonder if it's not that the films that are made by the big studios, the films that rise to the top in, te- in terms of like, you know, eyeballs seeing them um, are going to be funded by companies that don't necessarily want a strong stance, you know, that don't necessarily want to ruffle feathers because in order to have a broad appeal, they don't want to offend anybody. If that's your goal is to make movie and, or to make money and not send a message, like use, use the art of film to tell a story that also, Make, changes the way people think and feel if your main goal is I just want to make a pile of money you'd rather make something inoffensive I don't think that's all movies I'm no. not saying like and every movie does that but I, I wonder if it it was easier then and I, I don't know you're also talking about World War II like Nazis are bad I feel like that's a very clear well, moral feel, line you yes think so well I was gonna say well <laughs> that's true that's true that's true I mean I yeah but this was I mean this was before the war was over the, the full yeah. horrors of what was going on that's like true. The Allied force, uh, uh, like the U.S., had just entered. Like it was not, um, it it was not as cut and dried to your average citizen. You know, people yeah. were still debating if if you know America should even help at that point. And it's like mm-hmm. this film. I don't think the intention behind it was to operate almost like I don't want to call it propaganda because that has a negative connotation. But it's kind of like a you know a rallying cry for like why this war matters because yeah. it is like in the movie you get a lot of characters that are not just one way they're not just good or not bad like your two main mm-hmm. characters you know like the like Ingrid Bergman and, and Humphrey Bogart both play morally ambiguous characters they're both good people who are willing to do bad things for good ends mm-hmm. but then there's some noir elements yeah, there but the Nazis yeah. are bad there is no question about it. We are not. There's no angle on the way they're portrayed. Um, well, it's interesting that you say it's like almost like propaganda because when I um, I was reading about the movie, the reason Frank Capra had, didn't help with this film because he was originally going to or was asked to or whatever is because they were working on a series of propaganda. <laughs> he was directing a series of propaganda films for the U.S. Mm. to like get people called why we fight yeah. and it was specifically to get people on board with the u.s entering the war at that moment and a lot of people thought like casablanca would just get lost in the noise of the time but i mean maybe it is it isn't propaganda but maybe in the sense that it functioned that way for people maybe it was a more effective piece i don't know well because it's a i mean yeah, i could believe that because i i one of the things that I think I love about this movie, and I really don't know how to explain this other than to say, I feel like Rick represents what I wish America was. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that kind of lost sense of American heroism that now we're very cynical about it, and for good reason, um, for very good reason. Mm-hmm. But that idea that it's like, he's not some 
I want glory and I want power and I want to be, you know, like I don't, he doesn't care if he gets the girl. He just wants to be, you know, when he says that about we're just small parts of a, of a much bigger thing, he just decides mm-hmm. to do his little part to do some good in the world as best as he mm-hmm. can. And that that's, you know, that kind of altruism of like, it's not about the glory. It's not about the success. It's not about the, the money or the fame. I just want to do some good with what I can do. Yeah. There is there is something very attractive about that and it's hard because like that sentiment has been weaponized against people today mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um and like I would say that we have sort of this intergenerational conflict between this like this message of like just you know suck it up grin and bear it you're supposed to struggle and work hard forever and that's like you know, why are, why are you all whining? Why do you all want vacations? Why do you all want sick days? Why do you know, there's like that sentiment that has been so weaponized, but then the alternative to that is like, never do anything for anyone but yourself. Right. And I don't think we all agree with that either. Right. And it, and it is like, there's, there's a balance there. There is something at the end about sacrificing something you so selfishly want for yourself Mm -hmm. and selling out someone who at the end of the day, like, Yes, he. this was an important fighter in the resistance movement, but, I mean, if he had died, like, it's not like he would have, it's not like you let the Nazis win, you know? I mean, the whole war didn't turn on this Victor Laszlo. Mm-hmm. Right. But he still did the right thing. He still did the self-sacrificing thing, and he deprived himself of something for a greater good. I don't know. There, There is, there is something really beautiful that I connect to there that, I don't know. We don't talk about as much. Yeah. I wonder if there's a difference between that sort of feeling like of unity and like working towards like a greater good and a common goal for like everybody other than yourself. uh, When the threat that everyone's facing is coming from outside, like it's an external force that we all can like unite and get behind. Like, yeah, let's work towards this thing. Um, And today I feel like a lot of the, you know, the the reason you can't have that sense of like American heroism and unity and like working towards a common good or a common goals because the threat isn't external it's internal other people here causing a lot of the problems that we're having right. not something far away that we all can kind of try to band together and work against it's other people here yeah well uh, I, it's tough I don't know if that says something about like Americans are better at working against something than we are at working for something. Well. I mean, I think it's that it, you know, we we recognize that there's a lot of power in having a rallying cry. There's a lot of power in there's your enemy, let's unite together. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. specific idea, I think, has been weaponized against our own society so that everybody's yeah. constantly like feels very justified fighting against the people they're fighting against because those those have been made to those people have been pointed out to be the enemy and it's, yeah. it's not, you know, instead of all of us recognizing like, no, that the enemy is actually the person that's telling us all to fight with each other <laughs> up top. That's a, yeah. that's a far more complex, you know, it's, I don't, I would never mm-hmm. use the phrase a good war, but I've heard that used to describe world war two, like, mm-hmm. cause we knew who the bad guys were and mm-hmm. you know, we, we killed them. Great. Good job. I don't, good I don't job. believe in a good mm-hmm. war. Yeah. Uh, Nazis are bad. Yeah. yeah. But it was, you know, morally clear cut. Like, yeah. But it's hard because, I mean, while I, while I think the issue of Nazis is more morally clear cut, <laughs> yes. Um, 
there were a lot of individual pieces you could pull out of, I mean, any war yeah. and say, well, but that wasn't. Well, I mean, you know. sure, not to, not to talk about a different yeah. movie, but uh, right, right, exactly. uh, with Oppenheimer coming out, like I'm very uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the idea of, of that not, not taking into account of the human element yeah. of what went, what happened in Japan with the dropping of the atomic bombs. Exactly. Like, that's, yeah. that's one of those, like, yeah. I don't. I would never comfortably say, yep, that was the answer. No, I don't think it was. But what was? No. I don't know. Yeah. No, no. And I and so I think but I, I do think like that's why it, it is we're at a time where everything people want things to be so black and white and you get a perversion of both ends of the the sort of spectrum. Like you get this idea that there's this older generation that is saying you know, sacrifice everything and work yourself to death for your, I mean, they're really for like a corporation, Mm -hmm. for your company, for whatever. And you get a younger generation who's seen as saying like, screw everyone, I'm only in it for myself, I'm only in it for what I can get. And like, none of those things are true and none of those things are really conducive to happiness Mm -hmm. or the way that we want life to be. But this is how everybody's viewed. Um, And I don't, but nothing has ever been morally simple. Well, maybe that's why I think, I mean, I, Rick, however, if, this is definitely one of my favorite movies, but I will say Rick, Rick, the character that Humphrey Bogart plays is probably my, one of my all time favorite movie characters. Yeah. Because he's such a, like, his, his choices are his. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I, he self-sacrifices when he feels like it's worth it. Like, this is something that's mm-hmm. worth it to me. Like, this is, you know, he's made his decisions in life. He's He's gone his own direction. But this is what will change his direction based on his morals, not based on what anyone's telling him to do or what's convenient. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's funny because if you think about and I'm again, I'm not applying intention here. But if you as an American in 1942 are watching this movie, you want to see, especially if you're a guy, you want to see yourself as. Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. like he's awesome like another the other guy in the movie says if I were a woman and I were not here this is the man I'd vote there are so many like, lines that are just like the idea is Rick is so hot Rick is so cool yeah. Rick is amazing Rick is so cool. <laughs> like, it's like the so whole like, cast is saying that that's the thesis of the movie it is it the really is. Of the movie is Rick is yeah. so cool like and so if you're watching and you're like you're gonna want to identify with Rick because you want to see yourself as cool and then you see that even though he is apolitical, he is not into that. You know, he's just there to have his club and everybody comes in and maybe he's not as nice to some or others. But like at the same at the end of the day, he wants money and he wants like to stay out of everybody's business. But this was big enough for him to sort of break out of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. That is a really great propaganda, <laughs> you know, like because now you've captured the whole audience to be on board with Rick. And then when Rick says, I am willing to sacrifice for this cause because it is so important. Well, you are moved to also say, well, maybe it is, maybe it is important. Well, and you see like throughout the film, like both the references to the work he did before um, and like, like he was running guns for, I don't know, some smaller force that was, you know, he was on that, he was Mm -hmm. on the right side in the past, even though it wasn't the monetarily successful side. And even like, you know, he helps the, the young couple out that are trying to buy their passage and it's implied that the the young wife will have to sleep with the one scummy guy if they want passage, unless they win big at the table. So Rick, right? R- he rigs the table so they can win. Like 
it's clearly that he's he's a good guy that has become very cynical because of this whole mm-hmm. romance that failed. Um, but I think that's so. It's like it's he, he's a good guy. He just needs his hope restored, and this this movie did that. And maybe that's also mm-hmm. part of that kind of like, no, you're a good person. You want to do good things. You just need to believe in something. Mm-hmm. Fight Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it it's nice that like usually in a love triangle there's going to be like you've got your hero and you've got the guy who's like you you're supposed to hate mm-hmm. and like how can you hate the resistance fighter who escaped a concentration camp, yeah. right? Like you're not going to hate Victor Laszlo. He maybe you want Ingrid Bergman to be with Humphrey Bogart, but you're not going to, you know. Well, but you really can't I think all three of them are really strong characters, you know. I think mm-hmm. it, it in a time period where a lot of women were sort of just written as like you know, sexy lampshades. Like she, I, I, and the movie leaves it kind of ambiguous. But at least when I watch it, I feel like she does actually love Rick, but she knows she how does, important Victor is, mm-hmm. and that Victor needs her, and she's willing to do whatever she has to do to make sure that happens. So she's sacrificing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, she is definitely sacrificing. Mm-hmm. I do think. I do think like you remake the movie today you give her a little bit more i think you remove the part where she asks him to think for both of them yeah that's the only thing (laughs) that's change is like you give her just a little more agency to like make the sacrifice as opposed to you kind of get the impression that like he's telling her this is look this is what you're gonna Mm -hmm. do you know and i'm gonna make it okay for you and i'm gonna smooth it over with your husband even Mm -hmm. i'm gonna make your husband see that it's all okay i'm gonna be like the best guy ever but this is what you need to do and I mean, she goes along with it. She sacrifices. Yeah. She gets on the plane. Although, I mean, again, like, they, they make the stakes very clear. The alternative is, she. I mean, they're all going to get arrested. Yeah. yeah. By the Nazis. So, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tay, we've kind of touched around it and kind of talked around it, but why is this movie specifically so important for you and like one of your favorites i mean it on the on the surface level i think it's a it's just an aesthetically pleasing movie it's you know Mm -hmm. like it's set in a lush bar like this beautiful place you know like when i in my dream of dreams where i have my own establishment if i can be like the the cool dude walking around in the white sports coat signing checks Mm -hmm. like that's ideal yeah like you know a beautiful bar fancy bartenders I love the set- setting. I love the visuals of the movie. The contrast with the high black and white. The way they use shadows. Like, there's just so many nice, artistic, beautiful choices in this film. Um, but then I think it's just that the story is. I, you know, I'm, I'm not really wooed by stories about like, you know, here the the concept of the hero is always something that I think is is a little, specifically in the context of American culture, very toxic. The idea that one person needs to stand up and, and you know, like, like save the day. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's, you know, it's like when you want to work towards something, it's a lot of people making little sacrifices and, and you know, making choices in favor mm-hmm. of the good. And mm-hmm. that that's kind of the message of this is it's not really, yeah, Rick is definitely centered as like the hero, but everybody in this movie is, is just a small piece in it. And that's... Yeah. That if you mm-hmm. if all of those little pieces choose to do good or all those little pieces choose to do evil, that's the difference between an allied force and you know the Axis powers. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
I think that's and it's also very powerful. They they make comments multiple times, different characters throughout the movie that like we have to keep doing this because the alternative is like the world just is consumed by darkness. Mm-hmm. We we basically lose the civilization that we have, and to kind of make it that clear, like if those are the stakes, then you just have to do it. That's it. Well, yeah. No matter what you're giving up, no matter how hard it is. And the whole history, like the backstory when they were in, in Paris and everything, it's like they're constantly losing ground, quite literally losing ground to the enemy. And mm-hmm. the whole idea, like Rick's whole fantasy is taking that plane and flying away, you know, fleeing further. And at the end of the movie, his choice is to stay there and fight it. And mm-hmm. we don't, you know, we don't know what happens to Rick, like, he, you know, but... He that's the last time he's going to run, and I think that's really you know, I think yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you brought it up because I enjoyed rewatching it. Me too. Uh, Justin and I had never watched it together, so that was kind of. Well, I don't know what you know. The first Christmas I ever uh, spent alone up here in New York, I just started a a, a very like a, a minimum wage coffee shop job, but they would not give me off for Christmas. Uh, and I needed that job. I was paycheck to paycheck. So I had to stay here for Christmas and I had just gotten into bartending. I mean, this was right after college. I was like a home bartender, you know, and I'd gotten myself like a bottle of cheap vermouth and cheap gin and I was going to make martinis for Christmas when I was alone by myself. And Sid, you sent me for Christmas, because I told you I was into Humphrey Bogart movies, you sent me a box set of Humphrey Bogart movies mm-hmm. and Casablanca was in it. And so I watched it alone in my apartment drinking drinking martinis on, on Christmas Eve and that's become my weird tradition that I don't I don't make anybody watch it with me I'm just like at some point today I have to watch Casablanca you're welcome to join me you don't have to Christmas Day actually mm-hmm. yeah I that's think that's nice. nice yeah it's a good tradition yeah you know it is it's one of those movies if you watch it enough it's like uh what's the movie that people actually watch on Christmas uh, it's a Wonderful Story. Life. Christmas Story. Oh, it's, oh, it's, wonderful. oh, it's Wonderful Life. Or you know it well enough that you can have it on in the background, but you can still do other things. Yep. <laughs> this is my version yeah. of that. See? Yeah. Right. No, I get that. Yeah. I'm gonna, and now that you've said that, I'm going to make you all watch It's a Wonderful Life at all some right. point. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, It's one of my Tay. favorite movies. Thank you. I'm glad I got a chance to rewatch yes, it. Thank, thank you, you very much for watching it. No, yeah. I enjoyed it too. Um, and where I got it, where did I watch it? I don't know. I just searched it on my Apple TV. Mm. I think I did the same. I think I rented it. I don't remember where I watched it. Yeah, I'm sure I, you can all find Casablanca. Yeah. I'm sure. I I'm sure our it. listeners are clever enough to find it. Yeah. It's, it's out there. <laughs> I've got it on DVD. I also have bought it on a, on a streaming service at some point. Yeah. I don't know. It's out there. I was gonna say. I was trying to remember. Like, where did I don't know. I just. I like. Even Justin, I think, just said into the Apple remote, like Casablanca, and then he turned it on. <laughs> it's ubiquitous enough that the TV just goes, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. we know. Where, it. Here it is. Yeah, you got this. Yeah. Um, Riley, what's next? Uh, yeah. So next, I want to talk about an album, a musical album that just came out like a week ago. Um, it is called Guts by Olivia Rodrigo, who we've talked about oh, before when she coming. came out with sour yeah and she also just announced her guts world tour that is coming to washington dc so excellent yes all right well we will uh we will listen to that Uh, she was also on the vmas she was she had a fake (laughs) stage malfunction so all all the rage all right well we will check that out for next week in the meantime if you haven't seen casablanca i would highly recommend it um or if you have just watch it again i hadn't Mm -hmm. watched it in like I mean, literally like two decades. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to watch again. 
Um, thank you, siblings. Thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you, Maximum Fun. You should go to MaximumFun.org and check out all the great shows you can enjoy there. Um, you can email us at stillbuffering at MaximumFun.org. And thank you to the novellas for our theme song, Baby Change Mind. This has been your cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McRoy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I am still buffering. And, and I, I am, am too. too. Don't say, she doesn't say play it again. She says play it, Sam, doesn't she? Yeah, play it for me. Yeah, Yeah, nobody says play it again, Sam. Yeah, I noticed that again this time around. Yeah, that's one of those, what do they call it? The mandala effect? Yeah, yeah, it is. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Were you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D. Ah, it'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.